Hello and welcome back to another episode of The Purpose Podcast. I'm Alex, the founder of 195. We're a London-based startup that designs eco-conscious and unisex travel goods. We launched The Purpose Podcast so you can get to know the people, stories and challenges behind some of the most exciting brands that have a purpose at the heart of their business. If you've got aspirations or plans to launch your own business and make a positive impact, then you're in the right place for insights and advice. Today's guest is Sam Wetton, founder of Raker Bags. After three years of dedication and commitment to design the ultimate travel backpack, Sam's first Kickstarter campaign is live now. We connected over a year ago and have followed the journey of Riker Bags with admiration since. With the rise of fast fashion, the textile industry understandably has a bad reputation. So I'm keen to get Sam's thoughts on working in this industry, but still prioritizing environmental sustainability. I'm also excited to get Sam's perspective on launching a business whilst he's in the thick of it. So with that in mind, Sam, welcome to The Purpose Podcast. Thank you very much, Alex. Pretty proud to be asked to be to come on this. Um, so yeah, I appreciate that, mate. Yeah, no worries. How's things? Yeah, uh, as you say, in, in the thick of it, couldn't be uh, couldn't be truer. But no, really pleased to come on this. Hopefully, share some value and uh, and help some people out. Yeah, as you say, we're um, at the time of recording this. We're we're launching tomorrow. It's been a three year journey, which was originally sort of set out to be an eighteen months max journey, and then COVID hit just absolutely obliterated everything as as you've obviously had a similar experience so yeah at the start of covid we lost our manufacturing partner because everything was hitting over in asia obviously before before we actually got hit by it a lot of brands sort of northern america side they they canceled their purchase orders with factories and uh, all the factories were forced to sort of reduce numbers and go down to sort of bare bones um so obviously being sort of one of the smaller brands that they were working with we we were on the chopping block essentially, and uh, we had to, we had to look elsewhere. Which then, when you sort of get thrown into that position, and you're in the middle of a pandemic, and you're not able to go out and visit manufacturers, um, sort of oversee what they're doing, and even even just finding a ma- manufacturer um, within this space. Obviously, there's services such as like Alibaba, for example. But when you're creating a product um, as technical as what ours are the type of manufacturers that we work with aren't on these websites. So it was, it was a real struggle, but we're, yeah, we've, we've come on leaps and bounds and I'm obviously so proud to be where we're at right now and launching tomorrow, which is strike the fear of God into me. Um, but I'm really confident with sort of where we're at, but yeah, that's, that's enough of me waffling on. You know, I'm, I'm honestly, I'm really excited for this launch. Obviously, like I said, we've been, uh, We've been sort of chatting away virtually, I guess, over the past year in, in, in this pandemic world. I've seen that the, you've had this massive, massive commitment and dedication to, you know, to make this happen, especially in a period of major adversity. But I will be, I'll be backing you tomorrow. I'm looking forward to be able to carry the backpack <laughs> as and when we, we do travel again. But I, I kind of want to go all the way back to maybe to that, you know, that, that, that three years ago when you had the idea, but really what sort of sparked that mission and that commitment to, you know, in my mind, to actually perfect this design because, you know, as an outsider looking in, that's exactly what it looks like. Yeah, no, I really appreciate that. And and yeah, it really means a lot as well, Alex. Just wanted to say just to have your support. Yeah, no, it's quite touching. But um, going back, uh, God, it feels like a lifetime ago now. So uh, just a sort of introduction to yeah, what, what we do. So we, we produce um, bags and accessories from recovered ocean waste plastics. 
supporting ocean initiatives and our own beach cleans in the UK using a percentage of our profits. We have a no plastic approach in regards to packaging. Um, we use plant-based alternatives and recycle board wherever possible. Essentially, we just have sustainability at the core of everything that we do. So sort of going back, so three years ago, people may or may not remember, but three years ago, people weren't sort of promoting recycled fabrics and sustainability um, in the way that they are doing now. And it has become very much more of a, a buzzword than it was in in previous times it's used as like a an underhand marketing tactic unfortunately in in some cases and some people will be familiar with the term greenwashing which i think is unfortunately what happens a lot now but going back yeah 3 years ago i was i was actually in mexico and um witnessed sort of firsthand we we sort of gone on holiday with the intention of having this like amazing scenic sort of beaches that you imagine as a kid. I'd never really been on a long haul holiday and it was, I was actually still in university at the time. Yeah, we, we'd gone away and the, I witnessed firsthand like just how much carnage um, there was on the beaches. It was a mixture of plastic and um, carbon changes and stuff. Uh, there was like some big seaweed issue on top of that as well, but it was just like, wow, these beaches are getting absolutely destroyed. So all going back to issues relating to sort of what we're doing to the planet. And I was just like, surely there's something that we can do. Like, why isn't everyone sort of doing this? And yeah, like I say, at the time I was, I was at university and I was just going into final year. I'd always sort of had a, um, a real appreciation of textiles because uh, my, my mum, uh, who sort of inspires everything that I do, was um, she was previously a seamstress. So I'd always got this sort of desire to um, sort of see how sewing machines work, take them to bits and put them back together. It was, me, it was me, unfortunately, as a kid that used to fix her sewing machine, this expert in sewing. And it was me that was like taking bobbins to bits and stuff and uh, just intentions on machines and stuff. I, the actual sewing part didn't interest me, but it was just sort of the, the way the machines worked. And um so yeah, I got back to uni and um, with education, you're very much taken down this box ticking approach and sort of, so my course was um, product design and um, you're very much sort of, you're either going to do something that's 3D printed or you're going to make a chair or a table, like almost as if you're back doing GCSE design and technology. That, that's the sort of approach, but um, um, <laughs> that's sort of probably insulting, but it, it was that kind of approach, but to a higher level, of course. And I was just like, I want to do something a little bit different. And I wanted to to design bags. But the problem was there was no course and there was no teaching for designing bags. So I was just like, right, I want to design a bag and I want to use recycled plastics. And um, I reached out to a Korean supplier and um, they actually sponsored the project, sent me fabrics and... Um, that was sort of how it all started and everyone thought it was a bit mental because they were like, what, you're actually like getting getting all this stuff from China and Korea and Vietnam and all, like and you're getting all these bits made and and they they were just yeah, they they were just like, What are you doing? Like why are you not why are you not taking the simpler approach? Uh, that must cost you a fortune and all this and it was just just had this desire. I was just so passionate about creating these products and looking back, like it was an absolute car crash, um, because I didn't know what I was doing. I was just taking sort of a basic fundamental approach that I would to all forms of design um, and trying to apply it to soft goods. And uh, 
sort of yeah going on from there I'm, I'm fortunate to have an amazing network of people within the industry so I then went on to freelance for a few different um, international sort of household names and like for example one of my mentors is fortunately uh, who I owe a lot to um, was previously the head of soft goods design at Nike over in Portland so I sort of owe everything to my network and just a desire to just keep learning no one ever taught me what I do, um, which I think should be an inspiration for people to sort of realize that you don't have to have it all figured out. You don't have to have, you don't even have to have a degree. You know, if you just have enough drive and enough passion to just continue something to the bitter end, you will get there. And I think I am a perfect example of that because, yeah, if people know my history, um, yeah, I had a design background, but it wasn't in this area. Um, I didn't have a business degree. I've just, continue to keep on sort of learning but yeah in 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 long form that is the that is the last sort of three years the ups and downs and sort of where where the idea was born and and how far we've come but yeah uh, that's probably some insight for you as well Alex to be fair um it's not something I share very interesting that's uh that's one hell of a mentor to have as well yeah yeah no for sure um he's very much like nah it's all you but uh there's certain things that you just there isn't there still isn't a a course for for this in the uk which is something that makes me quite sad um because over in the us there's a lot of um technical outdoor brands and there are specific technical um technical gear courses so yeah it's still a design course but it's specifically um, around technical apparel um and bags and it's really not something that's sort over here you can do fashion and accessories design and stuff like that i was very reluctant to well, at, at the time, I didn't actually want to even, I didn't know what I wanted to do with InDesign. I just always knew that I wanted to have my own thing. I don't think I would have done a fashion course. And unfortunately, that's down to the stereotypes of sort of it only being female orientated. Um, and yeah, I don't think I could have been in a cohort and <laughs> sort of been the only guy. Um, that was always sort of my fear in terms of that, which is quite naive and stupid. But as a kid, so also as an 18 year old, it's yeah, these are the things that you think of. It's funny actually you say this because I think when I think back to when we were launching 195 and I'm not from a product design background, so we we needed, I guess one of the first things we did was who can we speak to that can actually support us? And um, yeah, when I remember doing that search, trying to figure out who's the right people, there really wasn't a lot out there in the UK in terms of yeah. soft goods. Um, yeah, there isn't. I mean, we're fortunate we found and, and partnered with um, an agency called Marama who are based in Shoreditch in East London. Yeah, that's fantastic. did have an experience of uh, designing luggage. Yeah. Uh, so that was, that was the kind of the initial thing that caught my attention before we ultimately started to speak and ultimately partnered together. But yeah, you're right. When I, when I did that search, I remember, obviously didn't know yourself at the time, um, but <laughs> well, I remember when I, when, I, when I had a quick look around, I think maybe a couple of freelancers who worked in that space, but yeah. couldn't really find an agency or team that were passionate. Whereas you go like in the US, it's like I say, it's really common, but over here, there's only, there's only a few sort of guys that I know in the UK um, who are great at what they do, but there aren't a lot of British brands that are doing technical gear. And I think that's also the reason why there's not a lot of actual soft goods designers in the UK. There are adapted soft goods designers that have um, an industrial design background, but the experience isn't there. So if, if the work isn't there, like how can, like we're not going to have freelance designers and stuff unless they've worked with the international brands. 
yeah so yeah i can't imagine what it was like in in your shoes i'm i'm, I'm fortunate that i've had well unfortunate and fortunate that i've had to do everything myself because yeah it, it leaves little time to do other things you're flying you're flying the flag and representing yeah yeah um yeah you're quite right so the one thing I want to ask, sort of get more into is is the kind of the here and now. So if that's the backstory and that's what's led you to this point, yeah. I think one of the reasons why I was really excited to get you on today and have a chat with you was because for the other guests that we've had for series one of this podcast, this has pretty much been reflecting back on launch. And in my own experience, I think when you look back on things, typically we can almost strip out the negatives or the tough, the tough times, and we only remember the positives that sort of human nature to do so whereas you're in the thick of it right now so I'm really keen to get your perspective on on how you're feeling on this launch what it looks like that kind of the nerves the ups the downs all of it really yeah no you're you're not wrong um I think a lot of people like to sort of glamorize the the success instead of the story and I'm very much a believer in sort of the journey sort of the learnings along the way but yeah sort of idea design getting to this point yeah that's been tough like that has been difficult to get to get to this point um but then at the same time actually launching a product is a completely different story because it's like i haven't designed anything since december of last year maybe november last year this whole last well, yeah we're coming up on nearly a year has literally just been about getting getting to launch so um something we haven't touched on like i'm i'm not investment backed um no vcs no angels no nothing um we have an investment offers but i very much wanted to keep everything um and our beliefs and our mission at the core of what we do rather than having an outside influence so um everything has been funded by myself but I'm not like some trust fund kid that comes from money or anything like that. Um, I've just had an endless resilience to if if we needed to learn something, if we needed something done, I would learn how to do it one way or another. And that's another reason why sort of things have taken so long. And is an example that you don't have to have loads of money to be able to launch something great if you're just willing to learn the skills that you may need to actually get this thing out there. So it's like the the journey sort of I've had to so we're so we're launching on Kickstarter, which is a platform where everyone thinks that you just sort of put your product on there and everyone just flocks in the masses and buys your product. But the reality is you've still got to build your initial community and your crowd so that on day one um and throughout your launch, you're actually getting enough eyeballs on the project and to create a snowball effect. So I've had to learn well, firstly, got like web development. I, I had some experience, but building out our site, our marketing funnels, um, and actually generating the the audience that we have now before we launch. And so the, the intention is to build your email list before you launch. And then we've also integrated what we call a $1 reservation funnel, which is essentially to get people to do a pre-reservation for a pre-order um, on Kickstarter, which, is, which sounds bizarre, but um, it essentially create some more qualified lead so that you can sort of gauge what sort of day one success you're going to have yeah it's just like an in-depth marketing tactic rather than sort of basic because a lot of people just build stuff on social media but it's just um it's not as um not as effective as it as it once was you used to be able to organically just create this mass following 
put stuff out there and the the the, the masses would flock to it um it's the same with influencer marketing and that isn't isn't the way now um so yeah it's been a big push on building our audience um we also we've been shooting all our launch assets since april which we did a shoot down in cornwall we've done a shoot in um in london uh for the more city stuff that whole experience sort of working with the production team working with models and really being in the thick of it has been something that i've i'd not experienced prior to um was very much learning as you go but i think that people think of community as being just the email list and just who your customers are and then you're just this sort of this brand behind closed doors that people are going to buy. But I think community is so much more than that. So it's like, yeah, I, I may, may be the founder of this and I've designed the products and whatever, but I would be absolutely nothing without the actual team that that's basically started this. So that's um, Verda, um, our director of, of production, let's say. Priya, she's our photographer. I'm just, just giving out shout outs here. Um, I'm sure they appreciate and then, this. And our, t- our team of models, like those people um, are essentially the initial sort of core driving force behind everything because they're so on board because it's not just a paycheck. It's not just because of our mission and everything that we're doing and the products and the experience they had with us sort of during our shoots and whatever. We're like a family and that is that's community as well because they're so attached to the brand. It's not a case of they just turned up one day, got paid and went home and they never spoke to us again. Like they are our founding sort of core team. I also managed to rope in um, my best friend as well, who's in some of the some of the shots um, and some of the scenes in the launch content. And it was great to sort of have that camaraderie dur- during the, like our, we had a week long shoot in, a, in Cornwall. Um, obviously all these things come at a cost, but I think when you as a brand are able to get people to believe in sort of what you're doing, your experience with those people is so much greater than if you just sort of go on Google, find, Oh, I need someone to shoot a video or I need a model. And I'll go to an agency and they turn up. It's so much greater. If you can get people to just believe in what you're doing. It's like we have literally the most insane thing. We worked with um, a couple of guys out in Hawaii. I don't know if you saw it, Alex. Um, yes, I did. From the, the, there was there was there was a topless guy with the bag, right? Is that that, that one? Topless yeah. guy, yeah, with more abs than I care to yeah, count. Yeah, that's um, the guy I him. <laughs> so yeah, we worked with someone called Nolan Amora and Show, uh, who are like the most amazing content creators out in Hawaii. And literally, that all came from a relationship that I built like two two plus years ago. Just me, just chatting to him as if he was a mate, which sounds mad. But I think just taking away from that like corporate experience, you know, when people are just like bombarded with, hey, we want to do a collaboration. You know what I mean? Like people just are so numb to it. And it's just seen as like uh, just a paycheck. Whereas if you can really sort of make someone believe in what you're doing and just be honest with them, um, I I found that to be the most amazing thing. And these are all people that are part of our community. And um, yeah, I'm really fortunate to to sort of be in this position but yeah i'm probably like going, going off on a tangent no you're okay i was gonna say the thing that i love about this i think i, I saw on your website that i think to quote it, i think it was like no bullshit transparency i think yeah. was, was the actual the wording i yeah. read and um i think it almost mirrors you as an individual which i think is probably why 
people are so on board with you and the mission because it's essentially the same thing. You're aligned in both you as you and your individual values alongside the business values yeah, as well. Yeah. And, and it's certainly why for me, certainly as, as someone who's been sort of following it and seeing your LinkedIn post at the same time as seeing the, you know, the Riker updates, it definitely brings me into it. And that's why yeah. I was so keen to speak to you, you know, keen to back you, keen to get the backpack. So yeah, I think it's it's all it's all the same thing, but it's all, it all merges into one. Yeah, no, that's that's good feedback. I, I I just don't think there's anything to hide, and I think it's really interesting because you know I'm just like a normal lad from a a small town in as we were saying before Mansfield. Like it's it's just not something that's done round here, and I think it's amazing to be able to share everything that I'm doing. Like it's not shared from a place of like bragging or anything, like that, and I never want it to be that because there's nothing to brag about. Like I'm <laughs> dead ass broke, but, um, <laughs> so I'm like really happy to share everything. And, you know, if anyone was to drop me a message and ask a question, like I'm not this guy that's just sort of like sitting on a pedestal and like sitting on his high horse per se. Um, I, I'll be open about anything. You know, if someone wants to learn how to design a backpack, like I'll to give you as much advice as I can. And I love sharing value. And that's why, if I can share that through sort of the LinkedIn post, like you say, um, social media or things like this, I'm more than happy to. And that's because there's like, there's nothing to hide. Like it, it, it's simple. Um, we've, we've built a brand, we've built a great product and I'm just trying to bring people along on that ride because you go and buy North Face, for example, um, you just, you're just buying a product, aren't you? you don't, no one has a clue like what went into creating that product. Very true. You know what I mean? It's 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 crazy the amount of sort of moving parts that go into these things, and obviously comparing the two, it's you've got a massive company that's got so many staff and whatever. But you know, and it's just little old me, and it's like there's so many different things, and people really find interest in seeing sort of what's going on behind the scenes and and whatever. So I do try. I, do, I should do it a lot more, but um, but yeah. Likewise, yeah, we probably should as well, but um. Hopefully this podcast is one way to do so, obviously. Um, yeah. But no, I think you think you're right. I definitely think there is that movement. I don't know if it's maybe pan- one of the positives that come out of the pandemic that people are maybe more proactive to, su- to support startups and small businesses. Um, you know, if we are taking the positives from a pretty crap 18 months. <laughs> yeah. Um, I want to ask you and get into the, the whole topic of sacrifice because you – you sort of alluded to it when you said about being dead ass broke. Um, <laughs> but I mean, we definitely know that pain where, you, you know, you throw everything you've got into this and, and wholeheartedly go after it. So from your perspective, like what, what does sacrifice mean? What, what does it look like on your pursuit of getting to this point of launching on Kickstarter? Honestly, it's sad. Like it's just, <laughs> it's just sad. <laughs> um, I'm, I'm fortunate that, I made sort of some wise decisions when I was younger. I've always been a frugal person. I haven't got like some mad exit from a previous company that's funded all of this. And so I left uni and instead of taking the route of um, going and working for a company, I'm just a stubborn guy that was just like, nope, I'm going to do this. And um, so, yeah, left uni and honestly, in in my head, I was so naive. I was like, yep, it's going to cost like five grand to get like to launch. And we're going to put it on Kickstarter and we're going to raise all this money. Uh, honestly, just didn't have a clue. I did not have a clue. And I'd had a previous business to this as well, but it completely different sector. And uh, yeah, just so naive. And um, yeah, so I, so yeah, left uni and 
obviously went on this journey, constantly spending money. I was just like, how the hell am I going to make this pay? So along the way, I've uh, I set up a small sort of e-pay business. That's like the hustler mentality. Because I've always been, it's like, it's quite cliche, but anyone that knows me will just be like, I've just always been called Devil Boy. Like that, <laughs> that is literally me to a T. Any sort of way to make money and just sort of make ends meet, I've always just done it. And I think that's instilled from my mum. She's always like from such a young age. Um, she's just like the most inspirational woman. She's just gone on to sort of um, if there was a, just any sort of way that she could turn a hand to making money, she would. And it's and money doesn't rule everything, but when you've got money, it's a lot easier to do certain things. So yeah, I've sort of had to hustle my way through it to get to this point. Whether that's through learning skills or earning. Uh, wherever I could, uh, selling off possessions. Um, these are the sacrifices that I've had to make. Like literally, I don't do any. Well, don't do any. Um, it's probably a stretch, but I don't really do anything socially. Um, just because it's all sort of unnecessary funds that are going out that could be going into the business. And when I, this is why this is what I mean. Why it sounds quite sad. Um, because. I probably come across as quite an extroverted person when I'm not. I'm like a real, real introvert. Um, and yeah, I'm like, literally, I'll, I'll look at, um, if, if we go out or whatever, I'll, I'll look at things and I'll look at the price and I'm, it's, it's so sad. I'm so frugal, but it's the sacrifice that you make to get to this point because th there's people out there that will look to start a business and, you know, if it's 500 pound, it'll cost. It's like, nah, not going to do it but when you get into this game like 500 pounds can go in seconds like it's it's insane and i've said to you before like i, I shouldn't I, I shouldn't have been able to get to this point with the budget sort of that i've that i've had uh, i won't go into that but i've literally just had so i've sacrificed made money where i can and everything that i've had has just gone into revenue generating areas so it's like I'm I'm not going to go and pay for a fancy office because um, like I um, we 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 were actually me and my partner living in Sheffield and in order to fund the business we had to move in with my parents again which is at, at my age like quite shocking to say um, and comes with obviously its difficulties but again it's like why would I pay like six seven hundred pound or whatever in rent when that could be going into the business and I'm fortunate obviously to be um to have a family that supports me that I'm able to move back home um but yeah that's obviously sacrifice but yeah why why would I pay for an office when it yeah it could be going into the the business and I can work sort of from a bedroom it's a bedroom born brand but on the outside it looks as though we have this incredible team which we do have an incredible team but they're not a a full time sort of in the in the trenches day in day out sort of seeing everything yeah, I think as a general overview, that's like an insight into the sacrifices that I've had to make to to get to this point. Um, I'm very much sort of living. I'm, I've sort of given up my um, sort of party years, let's say, for the pursuit of this. But yeah, I think it's a sacrifice worth worth making, and uh, it's not one I'm that I regret in any way because yeah, it's just a different path that I've taken to sort of the path that I see my friends and stuff taking. Um, but yeah, everyone's on different journeys. I love that. Yeah. I, I, maybe that's why I think I love the story and, and, and what you're doing. Cause it's just absolute 100% commitment, but 
to to your point, I think you look back in five years from now, will you remember the the fancy meal that you went for? Will you remember the beers you went out for? Or will you remember this point of launching a business? And I absolutely agree that you're spending in the right way or investing in the right way because that's what ultimately you'll look back on with with, with with kind of the right the right memories rather than another meal out, another beer with the mates. Yeah, and I think those things are, like, everyone's obviously different and I do still do those things. I don't want to come across as though I've not literally left the house in three years. Um, but everything is sort of outweighed against something. So it's like if I've had a good week or whatever um, and made money from somewhere, then I can. But at the same time, I'm like, oh, if I've like spent a fortune on this and that or a legal fee that's come in or whatever then I, then I can't so it's just it's just all about re- being really smart with your money and making everything go as far as it possibly can and if someone gives you a price for something don't be afraid to sort of wear your heart on your sleeve and just yeah I can't afford that but I can afford this or you're not going to insult anyone but if you're just straight up with people um that's what I found to sort of that's, that's got me to this point I would have had to raise investment. There's no way I could have possibly, if I'd not done things the way that I've done them, that I could have got to this point. And I think people focus so much on the vanity aspect, like, you know, the fancy office and like buying stock straight away and doing this and doing that. And, oh, I've got a business card. And you know what I mean? It's everyone focuses on the vanity and not on actually what generates revenue. Um, And that's sort of where I've put everything, uh, everything else. I can just figure out as I go. Yeah, you're. I think you're absolutely right. There is this this notion that entrepreneurship, launching your business, is this really sexy thing. But uh, and then you know, everyone everybody wants to be the brand or the company that's you know hiring a big team and launching in X number of different countries or markets on a weekly basis. But yeah, you're absolutely right. That uh, the reality of it isn't easy. But at the same time, I think it's also really highly rewarding as well. Oh, massively. Um, it's like we joke, like my, my hairline is going, (laughs) (laughs) I'm not ashamed to say, but it's, it's just as a result of everything, like no, nobody understands, uh, obviously you will Alex, but nobody understands like the scenarios that go through your head and the sleepless nights and how are you going to pay for this? And is anyone going to even like the product? Like, you know what I mean? All these things go through your mind and nobody sees it on the outside because you as a brand have to come across that you've got your shit together. Very much. You know what you're doing and you are literally the best brand ever with the best product ever and nobody sees all the bullshit. Like the day-to-day, you're just constantly firefighting and just... But at the same time, it we mentioned resilience it instills this endless resilience so that no matter what happens everything is just minor it's like with covid you know now yourself obviously with the way that it's impacted your business like now how can it get any worse yeah agreed (laughs) you know what i mean like literally what would it's a breeze going forward now yeah unless there's literally armageddon which hopefully not in our lifetime um nothing can really get any worse entirely agree and i feel like i've said this all the way through covid like yeah it can't get any worse and then it's ended up getting worse um but yeah i think from a business perspective all the brands and businesses that have survived this era going forward will be so much stronger if they've just been able to knuckle down and just persevere and just wipe this year off the record um i think everyone will be so much stronger 
Yeah, agree. I, I want to pick up on a point you mentioned about these um, these sort of thoughts you have, or the kind of the negative side that's in your mind. So I can, from my perspective, when I first launched One Nine Five, I don't know why, but I used to used to nip down to the supermarket nearby my apartment, and I used to always think irrationally. I thought, well, you know, if it doesn't work. I, I guess I'll just have to work around the corner in the supermarket and keep One Nine Five going on the side. But these like crazy thoughts that probably entirely irrational don't need to be there but they they absolutely do creep in yeah i'm literally like at the, at the minute um I, I i am quite a pessimistic person and i should be a real optimist like i feel like you as an entrepreneur you can you can go either one or two ways you can be really optimistic and sort of just go with the products and run with it and just be like yep it's going to work amazing or you can be really sort of on the statistical side and think of all the worst case scenarios which is i think where i fall into it so i sort of try and prepare for everything that could go wrong rather than everything that could go right so just just day to day i literally be in the shower and like i'm just thinking about something that's probably never even going to happen but i'm i'm there like fretting about it and yeah i just have to like shake it off um but the the mental side and i'm not afraid to say that i've, I've suffered with mental health since the first year of uni um in various different forms it, it sort of runs in the family but uh and, and that's something that i think gets thrown around a lot as well i feel like the mental health card gets played so much but I, and i guess everyone sort of suffers in their own different ways so it's not fair to judge um but i feel like Mental health is one thing, and the mental health through entrepreneurship is a whole different ball game. You know, if you already suffer, and then you've also piled all this pressure on yourself, like it, it, it is hell. And I don't think anyone can relate until they've gone through it themselves. Yes, yeah, it's, it's that daily internal conflict or turmoil, right? Yeah, because imagine if you suffer from that already, but then you're suffering from that from a brand perspective as well. You know what I mean? If you're suffering personally day to day, and then you're then having to sort of wear the brand um, as a brand ambassador as such um, day to day and all the worries that go with that and what people think about the brand. And if someone says something bad about 195, for example, yes, you're not meant to get personally attached to it, but it's your baby and it's like you're so attached to it. And these like things that people say do hurt. Um, and yeah, it, it is really hard to block things out. And you suffer on the mental side of that as well as sort of your personal day to day. I think everyone's suffered with COVID. Everyone's mental yeah. health has been absolutely burned. Funny you say that. So I remember like the first time we got maybe like a three star review on Amazon, it was like a dagger to the heart. Now I'm, now I'm absolutely okay with that. You, I just, you have to accept that what you do isn't for everyone. And that's absolutely fine. But uh, yeah, first it is, it's like, it's like attacking your own baby. It is. And that person probably didn't realize, you know, that's leaving that review. They might've even misclicked. You know what I mean? If they've not let, if they've not left a yeah. negative comment, um, but you get it. So it's like people unsubscribe from our email list and they don't even know they've done it. But you know, to you, like I read it. It's, it's like there was um someone I've known for years subscribed to our email list and then unsubscribed, and I can see it, and I'm like, fuck, this guy's like meant to be supportive. <laughs> for all I know, he just he accidentally did it. But I'm like, this guy's meant to be supportive, and I'm seeing it, and I'm like, oh, he probably thinks like I don't know. But it, it it probably was from no place of malice or whatever. But in the back of your head, it's like oh, he like obviously doesn't like me, doesn't like what we're doing, and 
all these things go through your head and it's the same with the the customer side he's, he's not getting a christmas card this year then no he's not <laughs> he's on santa's door yeah as well. i don't blame you <laughs> so I'm, I'm conscious i want to get i want to get in a bit more about the product itself the backpack because I've been looking on and I've been, you know, reading about the materials, the kind of the features of this, and you've given this like, so much consideration. So first thing, obviously, we both work in a similar industry, and I sort of mentioned it back at the start about the the textile industry has a bad reputation right now. It's a bit of a dirty word because of fast fashion. But, you know, the likes of yourself are flying the flag for the positive reasons that, you, you know, you can build a business that, that does prioritize environmental sustainability and still work in this space. And if anybody's looking at your website or I'm, I'm guessing as well on the Kickstarter campaign, they'll probably see reference to the blue sign system. So can you um, explain a bit more about that and what that, what that actually means? Yeah. So the blue sign system is a accreditation that both manufacturing partners, so actual factories that assemble things and um, the actual fabric mills, work to get but it's really hard to actually become blue sign accredited so essentially what it means is that the processes that you take to produce the raw materials um well fabrics from raw materials or the products that you produce from materials are following the strictest possible environmentally conscious um sort of processes so for example the water that's used to actually dye the products rather than it just going straight back out into the environment is then fi is filtered and then gone back into the environment it ensures that the the staff are paid a fair wage it ensures that the the staff are given a meal and they work in a healthy environment a friendly environment and, and a happy environment um that is sort of in essence what the blue sign system is and what a blue sign partner is so we ensure that all of our factories um from the textile mills to the trims that we use to the um, manufacturing part that we use um, are either blue sign accredited or they're ethically certified. So whether that's through the Fairway Foundation or another similar certificate, and it just ensures that everyone's being properly looked after. Whereas, and this is what I touched on before about like sites like Alibaba and stuff like that. You know, when you're working with them, all you all you're doing is literally like sending a message and they've got a profile photo, but you don't even know if that person's even real. A lot of the time they're like um, like a reseller. What we have obviously in the UK, they're, they're just an agent that's working on behalf of another factory and you don't really know sort of where your products are coming from. So we're really proud of that transparency in sort of what we do. And in the future, we want to have um, full transparency of, sort of all the partners that we work with um, and sort of all their accreditations because at the minute, obviously, we, we can't because it's a competitive industry and we're sort of, it's not a case of we're secretive of sort of who we work with, but it's just when you've got competitors that sort of want to see where, who you're working with and um, see if they can get a better deal and all that, you're then going to lose out as a result. Um, so you have to get to a point where, you're large enough for that not to impact you and obviously us being quite small but it is something that we're going to push for in the future is to have sort of a full a to z transparency of our whole supply chain but yeah that's the the blue sign system as in a whole very cool like i think a lot of people will see this but maybe don't always necessarily know 
kind of what the meaning is behind it. I think it's one of the key things that we've, we've, we wanted to do with the podcast was to speak to businesses like yourself to, to really understand this because, you know, we've got other episodes coming down the line where we're sort of talking about things like 1% for the planet. Um, yeah. So it's all this kind of thing where we're really interested to kind of uncover the story and the kind of the commitment behind what might just be a logo on somebody's website. Yeah. I think as well, um, there's a lot of brands at the minute that they, we, we touched on this before about like greenwashing and it being a marketing buzzword, but they don't actually sort of have a true understanding of these um, accreditations and the processes. And it's really easy to be like, oh, our products are made from plastic bottles. But it's like, are they? You know what I mean? It's really, it's really hard because you're, there's because there's no visual difference between fabrics that are made from post-consumer and fabrics that are made from virgin plastics. So I think you're very much placing your trust in the brand itself and what they're telling you. But I see some brands and I'm like, it's probably not. <laughs> it's probably not. Um, and they probably know there's no way of ultimately a customer delving to be able to find that out. I think there will be, though. I think yeah, there will agreed. be at some point, there will be some sort of government leg- legislation that's passed or international trade law or whatever, where you have to be able to prove sort of every step of your supply chain if you're going to be selling yourself as a sustainable brand. Yeah, I think we're, get, we're, we're getting there, right, aren't we? I think it is It is kind of, and I know that there's a couple of different companies out there already now. So there's um, a company called Compare Ethics in the UK that are doing exactly that. So they almost offer that third party accreditation. But yeah, you're right. It needs to move in that direction. Yeah, I don't think it should be something that you can like quite easily say. Um, there's there's massive brands as well where bizarrely they so they've got a full range of thousands of products, let's say hundreds of products that are made from virgin plastics, so just regular textile. But then they've got this little spin-off range that's sustainable. Uh, but it's so it's made from let's say discarded nylon, recycled plastic bottles, whatever you want to say, recycled plastics. But then it turns up in loads of plastic, like three plastic bags and a plastic mailing bag. And I'm just like... Defeats the object. Why? You know, if sustainability isn't at your core of what you do, don't do it. Like, don't try and half-arse it because it's just not going to reflect well on you. And not everyone can be sustainable. I I don't think it's within the, the business model of certain businesses. I think everyone can make steps to, but you know if you're not actively sort of showing an an effort I get that with these massive multi-level conglomerates that they're not able to straight away make that switch, but at least sort of publicly show an effort, like start with um, changing all of your packaging. That'd be a start. This is a prime example. Um, Yeah, I ordered something and it was, yeah, I I literally picked it. It was a a T-shirt, not that I ever really purchased anything um, these days. It was a T-shirt and it just turns up in, yeah, two plastic bags. And I'm just like, why, why? Uh, yeah, bizarre. I did, I did enjoy. I did actually. I remember. I thought so again that you, I think it was LinkedIn where you you were calling out Boohoo for the kind of the ripoff of uh, Pangaea's tracksuit, which, which I enjoyed as well. I don't know how they do it. They must literally just. They must design with sunglasses on. <laughs> <laughs> that's how. <laughs> that's how much effort goes into their processes. Like it's, yeah, it's it's poor form. Um, yeah, especially when you're copying a brand that has sustainability at the core of everything that they do, um, and they they really do it well. Uh, that's one of the brands that I do actually really like. I've got a friend that works for them, 
and I know that sort of everything they do it that is at the core um, and they go above and beyond and then you've got Boohoo who everyone knows aren't a sustainable brand copying them like with no sustainable intentions in mind just oh it's just laughable uh, but yeah I I feel like if I ask any more questions, this could this could go on for a lot longer. I'll, I'll get you going on this, so I'll, I'll hold back on any more around that topic. Um, <laughs> I've got one more specific to to you, and then I want to get into a little bit of sort of the practical side and the advice. Um, so, okay, cool, real short one. But what is the purpose for you and Riker bags going forward? Oh, big question. You might start me off here. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so purpose um obviously our mission so yes it starts with the products being sustainable but our greater sort of mission is actually instead of just recycling plastics and selling great products we want to actually give back to um the planet itself in terms of funding our own um, beach cleans and supporting of initiatives in quite similar to what you just said about one percent for the planet uh, we've called it one percent for the ocean we, we do plan on in the future um, being part of initiatives like One Set for the Planet because I do think they are great initiatives and I'm a huge um, admirer of uh, Yvonne Chouinard, which is the founder of Patagonia who started One Set for the Planet because everything that they do is so much thought and um, honesty behind it. So if you've ever read Let My People Go Surfing by him, have you? It's been downloaded on my Kindle for a while. I'm a bad reader these days. Don't have the time. I'm more of a podcast man, but it's there. It's ready to be read, but it's not. I've not got into it yet. I'm not a reader at all. But I listen to the audio book and it is brilliant because it's it's him that's narrated it. So you you do get a true insight into his story. But yeah, bit of, bit of a spin off on that one. But uh, but yeah, like purpose is just actually having something a greater mission than just caring about our bottom line like that. That is our purpose in in a nutshell. Um, we obviously want to bring out more products in the future and expand into other product categories. Um, but I want Riker to just be a symbol of just getting out there and, and doing something with your life, um, whether that's through business or whether that's an adventure, travel, journey, whatever. Because our slogan is life won't wait. And it's quite true. And I think this year has shown everyone that life won't wait. And you've got to sort of grab the ball by the horns. And if you want to do something, just go and do it. Love the slogan, by the way. You're right. It, 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 whether you planned it during the pandemic, but it definitely resonates now more than ever. <laughs> no, the, um, yeah, we've had the trademark since the start. So yeah, like three years um, for life won't wait. It's just, I think, I think it's just, it's something my dad used to say. Um, I think my dad, yeah, my dad came up with it. I think he usually comes out with something daft. <laughs> <laughs> I'll be like, right, I need a slogan, and he'll uh, he'll pull something out of nowhere. I think he's got like a he's got a breakdown of of Riker and in in terms of letters, I can't I can't remember what the word is to to explain it, but he breaks every letter down into a word and a slogan, and yeah, he's got all these little things that he comes out with. But yeah, he said life won't wait, and I was like, yeah, you're right. And I think it was just something that he used to say like growing up. It's almost like it's almost like your your dad knew something we didn't. <laughs> yeah, yeah, maybe. Um, but it's it's similar, obviously, to like Nike's with just do it. Yeah, because it's true, isn't it? Like life's short. It's the same with like with what I'm doing now with Riker. It's it's all because life is short. And what is the point in doing something that doesn't 
excite you every day, doesn't fuel you. Like, obviously, everyone needs to earn a living. Everyone needs to have a job. Everyone's not fortunate enough to be able to, for example, move back home like I have and start this venture. People have kids, people have mortgages, whatever. Um, but just make sure you do something you love. Well, that's my, yeah, that's what I'd say. And that, yeah, like, it's, it aligns well with the brand. All for taking a risk. I agree with you. I think it's a uh, a good philosophy for life. Um, right. One One practical question. We sort of touched on this before, but for anybody that doesn't have that design background that, you know, didn't study product design at university, but they've got uh, an interest or a passion to launch a product-based business, what's the advice? Like, where, where would you start if if you're thinking, about, I want to create this, but like, I don't know how to create it. I don't know anybody in that network. What would be the kind of the real practical first steps you would suggest to somebody to to get that ball rolling? <laughs> buckle up and learn <laughs> that would be that's the harshest way um it, it depends on budgets so if you have a budget then obviously there's some fantastic design agencies in the uk uh, i think that's something that we are blessed with yeah we, we have great design agencies over here up and down the uk and you can speak to someone but if if you don't have the budget but you have a pen and paper get something down on paper and just make it happen like there are we're so blessed to have so many um educational resources so youtube like just literally youtube and google to your heart's content like some of the stuff will be irrelevant because it will be dated um dated knowledge but and, and like just listen and learn like podcasts are a great thing as well people that have been through it as well because clearly if someone else has done it and they've not had a design background. Um, you've only got to look at Gymshark, for example. Ben Francis, he's at the most inspiring individual because he's gone from printing T-shirts in his bedroom to this, well, unicorn brand, uh, a billion-dollar brand. Like, it's insane. And, and that's not someone that had a design background at all. That's just someone that knew he wanted to create a product. And, you know... You know People think that you have to have the most fancy sketch and 3D drawing and this and that um, because design is very much glamorized through concepts. So a lot of um, product designers and agencies, a lot of it's conceptual. So it, it has to be glamorized because it's not able to be a tangible physical thing yet because of the tooling costs, etc. And I think everyone thinks that that is actually what they need to be like to be able to create to that standard. But actually in manufacturing, it isn't, um, especially not for bags. Like if you literally saw some of my sketches, I'm able to sketch to a high standard. Yes, of course. But they're like fag packet sketches. They're horrific. <laughs> like that—that that is the standard I work to. And, that, and, a, and a factory is able to interpret something. And the other thing, obviously, COVID's been a, a nightmare for going over and seeing a factory. But, you know, if you can just um, do, just do a simple sketch and show a factory they'll interpret it in their own way um i know for a fact so i we we basically create these tech packs i say we it's the royal we it's me um <laughs> so i create these tech packs for every product that we create and they're basically just isometric so 2d views of each um side of the product and then just little annotations or you know if you find so if you find a product that has a certain little feature let's say it's like some knurling on um, a surface and you want to apply that to your product put a picture in then the factory will know 
you're dealing with a factory most likely that's in the far east um obviously great if you can manufacture in the uk then it'll be even easier but you're dealing with someone that probably doesn't speak great english and is interpreting things on a greater level through an image so don't be sort of disheartened if you can just do a simple sketch and and like say if you can go over there even better um because you'll be able to work with them and iterate way faster than you will on an email um or a video call but yeah there's loads of different ways you can do it and obviously it's product dependent and budget dependent if you've got the budget and you're raising money through angels from um for example then by all means hire people and do it right i'm not for one minute saying don't hire people because you might end up with an absolute dinosaur of a product but yeah if budgets don't permit don't don't just give up don't just think you can't do this because you've not got money because the the world is very much made makes you believe that because of the way the world works um as everyone knows but i think like don't ever underestimate underestimate the underdog like you can go places i love this philosophy i it, it's it's a learning and a philosophy but i i love the, the the passion behind it all really really cool i'm just happy that i can uh, i can share it um impart some wisdom yeah i actually read a, this might be relevant as well um just in terms of entrepreneurship i read a quote the other day and it was like what did it go like it was, it was something like entrepreneurship is jumping off a cliff and assembling the plane on the way down <laughs> yeah <laughs> that is literally it very true you you don't have a clue do you? you you're jumping off and who knows it could go one of two ways or mm-hmm. it could not go this is me with launch day tomorrow i'm kind of like i've done everything that i possibly can to get to this point and nobody can tell me that I could have done more. And I'm just like, I'm just going to take that leap and see where we end up. And it'll be great to sort of revisit this in a year's time, let's say, and, or even a month's time after the campaign and just be like, wow, what a contrast to sort of where we were at. So I think it's great, like you say, to be able to talk about the process to get to this point rather than just the success. Yeah. I'm sure it's going to be a big success. I really am. I mean, I'm ready and waiting tomorrow to back the project. Ready um, and waiting. I love it. But <laughs> for anybody else that is is listening, I want to want before I let you go to give you one last chance to throw the uh, the plug for for Riker Bag. So if if anybody's listening, where do they find you? How do they get involved? How do they back the the, the project? So give us all the the links and the important information. If you yeah head over onto the Kickstarter, we'll still be running, um, and you'll be able to get a large discount the largest discount we'll ever offer um so at the time of this going live the price will be 149 which will be a, around a 33 percent discount but you'll be the first to own and we'll never be offering a discount of this size um we're offering the travel pack and a range of modular accessories for both traveling and photography but yeah i think we've touched on everything in terms of product and materials etc but yeah if anyone would like to support us it would mean the absolute world to me and when you're supporting a project like this just know that every name every individual is recognized by me you're not just a number um and that's sort of the difference when you're supporting a brand such as 195 or such as Riker. what's that thing that people say like um as a small business like you do a happy dance i've seen this (laughs) every time you get an order it's so true. Like I, I know my email list. Like, I, like names on my email list. For God's sake, I, 
I see like I see them as like the the initial founding people of of this brand. But yeah, if anyone would like to support, then it would mean the world. Um, but but no pressure. Sam, best of luck. I think you're going to smash it, and uh, I'm keen to see where things go beyond this point because I think you're going to do big big things. Thank you very much, Alex. No, I really appreciate it. But yeah, cheers for your time, mate. And uh, yeah, hopefully when you finally get down to London, when you've got a day off, then uh, look forward to. A proper catch up, maybe over a beer, maybe, but only only one beer because we've been frugal, been sensible. <laughs> <laughs> I knew that was coming. I knew that was coming, but no, definitely. We'll get the, we'll get the shandies in. We'll get the shandies in now that the uh, once the dust settle, dust has settled with everything, and I'm less stressed, then there's there's more time for those types of activities. But uh, we we won't promote them too much. <laughs> Count me in. Oh, best of luck, Sam. But yeah, no, I'm really pleased to have been asked to be on this podcast, Alex. And I think you're doing some amazing work with both One Nine Five and the podcast itself. Oh, thanks Keep a lot. up the good work, and like I say, I'm, I feel really honoured to have to have been asked to come on. I oh, appreciate that. Well, no, been uh, the pleasure's been all mine. Yeah, take take care, mate. Anyway, see you later. Bye bye. If you're still with me, thanks for taking the time to listen to the Purpose Podcast. I hope you enjoyed it and found it interesting. If you did and you're listening to this on Apple Podcasts, I'd massively appreciate if you could take a minute to leave us a positive review. And if there's a friend or family member that might enjoy or benefit from listening to this, please share a link with them on either Apple Podcasts or Spotify. If you're curious to learn more about our eco-conscious travel goods, give us a follow on Instagram, which is at 195, or head to 195.com where you can also get 10% off your first purchase when you sign up to our newsletter. And for each weekly podcast, you'll also find a blog post with some highlights and learnings from the episode, along with a full written transcript. Thanks again. We'll speak soon.